over. <laughs> there we go. Go right for it. All right. And I think that those settings actually could be, could be put into a working to the invitation, like when you schedule the thing, I think you could probably throw those switches beforehand and save it. No. And that way you can probably just like say, okay, make me a new one based on this template. We're gonna keep doing it. <laughs> just, just a piss them off. He's gonna get so frustrated. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. <laughs> We're not gonna take it. I've forgotten it already. Trust me. When, when confronted with the easy way or the hard way, Kate will always opt for the hard way. Kate is the Kool Aid man of challenges, just <laughs> bursting through walls. <laughs> That's how you enter our Zoom chats all the time. You're like, hey, oh, yeah. thank you. But yeah, thanks, Bert. So, welcome everybody to Table for Deuce, episode four. I am here with Kate Hansen Foster. I am always just gonna like have to slow down whenever I do that. With Kate Hansen Foster, author of Crow Funeral and Midrift. And Kate, I I have nothing of uh, of roastiness to say currently sadly i've got nothing oh i've blanked oh. <laughs> here here's kate okay Dead well silent. let me read yours <laughs> 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 um michael smelter is the author of empire of surrender and blood song uh, when he isn't writing, he spends most of his time on his OnlyFans eating saltless saltines in threadbare underwear. Welcome. That, that's Welcome, so Michael. close to true. It's been a busy but week. Yeah. It has been. And it's been... voting and midterms and that's right. That's right. and all that. So That's yeah. right. Democracy was on the line. I want to tell you something that happens to me this week. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know that I got COVID back in like May and, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it like hit me pretty hard. I was really sick and it's been taking me like forever to get back. It just mm -hmm. fell out of a good re workout routine. So I was like, oh, I can't cause I'm, I'm like putting on weight. I'm like, gotta get back, gotta get back in shape. So Monday, day one, going down and we have like a little workout room in the basement that we've mm -hmm. it's like just a little room we've converted it's got a treadmill weights and um we put some flooring down like workout gym type flooring and all that I like get going and I'm trying to get myself I can feel that I'm like not at my best but whatever the first thing on the workout thing that I was doing was jump squats and I'm like mm -hmm going for it like beast mode you know like so I'm <laughs> jumping and I'm squatting and I'm jumping and I'm squatting and then next thing I see mm. in the corner of my eye holy hosanna in the highest a snake a snake oh, on no. the ground it was just looking at me like just coming out from the underworld you know like all <laughs> legless and evil 
stream. I immediately uh, take a picture of it and send it to Bert, who's on his way to work. So he's not even around. So I have to deal with this all alone. Me and the snake, except then Arlo, my dog, walks in. Then um, Hippie, the cat, walks in. And then Booter walks in. And I'm like, how am I going to work? so like shut the door and then I go and I find like I go try to find something some kind of like mechanism to capture it and I find uh, eventually a shoe box which is still is still sitting outside by the way I won't bring that shoe box back into the the house because that is where the serpent was and I set it free in the yard and I'm never working out ever again I like that. Like, how is that like not an omen though? It was like the way he just slithered out, like, <laughs> like watching me work out. Like, where, like, what kind of, where am I? And all this stuff. And it was, it was, I just, I don't feel like you feel as horrified as I was. I, well, like, so my eldest had a snake. So I'm a little bit more accustomed to it, mm-hmm. though it did escape. So it could very well be in the house somewhere. We have no idea. I had turned my Apple Watch on and my Apple Watch was like still talking <laughs> me at like 175 per minute. <laughs> like as I'm just trying to find like a box to put the thing in and I'm like, oh my God, yeah. it was an ordeal. And, and anyway, so. Oh. oh, I don't have anything as exciting as that. Or I'm not as scary. So I got to uh, host a uh, so I am part of a program. I'm one of the curators, or I am the curator for the Jack Straw writing program here in Seattle. So I got to do our final event at the Seattle Public Library and host my writers and introduce them. And it was a magical time. These writers are so talented and I will probably get a few on the show at some point because I just want to be able to talk to them some more. And one of my authors, uh, Aaron Langner, just had a book come out, Souvenirs from Paradise, out from Zone 3. I don't understand how my hologram works. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. But okay, yeah. Oh, cool. from Paradise, Aaron Langner, out from Zone Three Press, book of personal essays. Uh, based in like Vegas. There's a lot of Vegas talk, but it's about more than Vegas. It's about loss. It's about like the idea of these souvenirs or takeaways or these moments in time, whatever, what have you. But it's it's uh, good. I just read the first one, and I've been a fan of her work for a while. So I was excited to be able to work with her throughout this year. So yeah, yeah I'm just gonna keep plugging my writers because they're the best. Speaking of speaking of writers, I'm gonna plug Paige Paige Lewis. Yep. Should we uh, should we jump right in? Yeah, I spent a lot of time reading this poem this week. I probably spent less than you, as is going to be the pattern for the toaster roast that we do. It's going to be you <laughs> spending so much time rereading. I did. I, I probably read it like 10 times, but yeah. yeah. Let's try it. Okay, this is from the book Space Struck out of Saraband Books, published in 2019 by Paige Lewis. And since the title goes right into the poem, I'm just going to do it that way. The moment I saw a pelican devour a seagull, wings swallowing wings. I learned that a miracle is anything that God forgot to forbid. So when you tell me that saints are splintered into bone bits smaller than the freckles on your wrist and that each speck is sold to the rich, I know to marvel at this and not the fact that these same saints are still wholly intact 
and fresh-faced in their plexiglass tomb displays. We wholly our own fragments when we can. Trepanation patients wear their skull spirals as amulets. Mothers frame the dried foreskin of their firstborn. And I've seen you swirl my name on your tongue like a thirst pebble. Still, I try to hold on to nothing for fear of being crushed by what can be taken because sometimes not even our mouths belong to us. Listen, in the early 1920s, women were paid to paint radium onto watch dials so that men wouldn't have to ask the time in dark alleys. They were told it was safe, told to lick their brushes into sharp points. These women painted their nails, their faces, and judged whose skin shone brightest. They coated their teeth so their boyfriends could see their bites, but the lights turned down. The miracle here is not that these women swallowed light. It's that when their skin dissolved and their jaws fell off, the Radium Corporation claimed that they all died from syphilis. It's that you're telling me about the dull slivers of dead saints while these women are glowing beneath our feet. That was the moment I saw Pelican Devour by Paige Lewis. Can I just ask, are you reading that from a different source? Because I there was a couple of differences in what you read than what I have. Hmm. I have the last so, is that it's that you're more interested in telling me about the dull slivers of dead saints while these women are glowing. Oh, that's interesting. Is that from the sixth bench? Yeah. That's, that's from the website itself. Yeah. So yeah, I'm reading it from the actual book. So oh, there must have been an edit between edit. those two versions. But that's an interesting change in that last line. But anyways, um Oh, that is. We should talk about that too. That is very fascinating though. I like that. Um, I like the that change. That kind of changes my um well, I've I have lots of thoughts about this, but um I, I think I understand that cut um based on your mm -hmm. uh reading of it. But anyways, but yeah, I want to I hear what you think about this. So I like the poem a lot. So I, there's something about, like, I don't know if it's exactly what I would call like stream of consciousness per se, but there is kind of this way where you can almost see the brain of the poet working. It kind of just flows very well. And like I said, I'm always obsessed with the musicality of language. And so there's a lot of musical mm -hmm. things about the poem that really work for me that keep me going from stanza the stanza um and i'm not sure it wasn't this way in the sixth bench but the um <laughs> stanzas and the lines itself are kind of staggered so you have a tercet that's kind of staggered and then it goes to the next one and staggered next so there's this kind of beautiful flowing quality on the page itself hmm. uh, and like i said the music itself and the line breaks the way they go from one line to the next without having a full end stop is once again it kind of pulls you forward there's a momentum to it that keeps me going. Uh, there's a lot of lines that just strike me as something like really fascinating and interesting. Uh, the line right up front, a miracle is anything that God forgot to forbid. It's always yeah. been kind of mysterious and interesting to me. Um, I like the line wings swallowing wings. There's something so kind of unnatural about that to me. And it not that this has anything to do with the poem, but there is a documentary I saw, like a nature documentary, where a catfish ate a pigeon. And I think that was the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, you're a creature of the sea. 
why are you eating a creature of the air? Like you two shouldn't even meet. Like what is happening here? Like the horrifying could be miraculous too. So I like this notion that there are things that have been forgotten that are also miracles, but in a like a terrible way. And that kind of brings me to the end of the poem as well, where you have these glowing bones and these, you know, the horrifying image of skin dissolving and the women's jaws falling off. And it's like, there's these things that are happening. And this feels genuinely strange and quirky and interesting. Like it's the viewpoint of the narrator that is focused on these very like dark and very interesting and very strange things. And it's very kind of macabre at times, but it's it's something that I feel in the writing is so genuine and so interesting. And I just feel like there's a lot of people that have tried that, that have failed, and it feels very successful in this poem. I mean, I, I agree with you that the line that definitely holds the most attention for me is that line, um, a miracle is anything God forgot to forbid. And it's almost as if the speaker is really just going right ahead and, and redefining uh, their concept of what a miracle is. Um, mm -hmm. because, you know, we all know the classic definition of, of miracles is something sort of, um, you know, spiritual and, mm -hmm. and, and something that is created by God or because of God, and that it, it's also uh, very unnatural, which it makes it such a, a shocking thing to experience. And so, I keep reading that line and trying to understand it. Like I've, I've, I've read it over and over, <laughs> um, trying to understand what, what Lewis means by writing that, um, you know, if, if God forgot to forbid something, um, which to me seems something like you said, like uh, macabre or, or like just uh, almost evil and uncomfortable or um like sin you know these things like all these other images of things that happen in the, in the second part of the poem um why why make that you know i'm not, i haven't quite come around to understand the line of it being um a miracle and just just the whole concept of of miracles in itself this image of the you know, I used to do like the wings swallowing wings and um, mm -hmm. that to me felt like an easy line. Um, even though it sings, it's a very, it's just, it sings, but I think based on the rest of the poem, um, I think I would have been more taken by like mouth swallowing mouth or um, mm. like a little less obvious. You know, a pelican eating a, a seagull is, even though it, if you were to witness it, which I never have, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, from what <laughs> I learned, you know, is mm -hmm. is an actual, you know, it's a pretty natural occurrence, you know, that mm -hmm. um, it's not an unnatural event in the way that we we normally perceive or or our conceptual image of miracles to be. You know, I wouldn't say it's turned me off the poem. It it's just mm -hmm. kind of made me. It makes me want to understand. They have my attention. Let's. Mm -hmm. I'll say that um, one of the things I really loved was um, the line, we, we holy are fragments. And that mm. was another, another a turn of phrase that uh, mm. 
that caught my attention because it's, you know, using holy as a verb, like, you know, that it's, we holy are, instead of like, we make holy our fragments, which again would have been kind of an easier line. Um, and this one is more of a, a kind of, just a little bit of a different spin on it. Some of the stuff um, I had a little bit of, I struggled with um, just um, tense wise, I guess, you know, and, and the generalization of a lot of the, um, the, the listing of things that kind of to back up this, uh, this concept of just like humans needing to make relics out of, out of things, you know, the, the trepanation or the act of trepanation, as far as I understand, isn't, um, isn't really like a thing anymore. So to, to say, you know, like trepanation patients wear their skull spirals as amulets, um, I don't see that's not like a believable line to me as something mm. that, that is happening uh like today we get into the whole second half of the poem and we start talking about the speaker starts to talk about this you know whole ordeal from the 1920s you know there was no problem to say that this particular event that happened in the 1920s and stuff and so anyways I just mm -hmm. it felt a lot like you know and also mothers um you know, framing dried foreskin was a very, a very general statement as well that I, I truly had to go to Google to see if that was a thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, because it's like, okay, well, um, is that, you know, in, in, is that a particular religion that does that? I, I couldn't find anything. I, it didn't seem like a common practice that I was aware of. I, I found myself um, doing not research per so much, but just trying to understand, um, mm. looking for proof of these statements. And I also would love to see your search history. It must be the most outrageous thing ever. Two <laughs> mothers, like, oh, well, then it was like dried foreskin, that got did... all over the place. And then, <laughs> like, hey, Alexa, how do, I dry <laughs> how, do I, how do I dry foreskin? And frame it on the wall. <laughs> It's a little bit, um, I don't want to say like aggressive, but almost like argumentative, mm -hmm. especially with this unidentified you that the speaker is addressing um, several times. Mm -hmm. Like I, at first I thought when it was, you know, that line, like, so when you tell me that um, saints are splintered into bone bits smaller than the freckles on your wrist, you know, I, 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 mm -hmm. I kind of first read it as a more universal you. Then when you get to the part where it's like, listen, um, it starts to feel a little bit more argumentative to me, like that there is an actual back and forth happening between the speaker mm -hmm. and this you person um, that feels defensive, I guess, in a way. Um, mm -hmm. And the there's the uh, the line about the um, you know you swirl my name in your mouth um, that that made it into your version, right? The yeah, yeah, the first pebble. Uh, the yep. thirst pebble, which I love that image. Um, but I was, it made me wonder, I was, who is this you? You know, and I mm -hmm. started to think, well, that sounds like a lover, you know? So this sounds like a poem between like the speaker and a lover um, or a speaker and an admirer or what. And so there was just a, a lot of questions that came up. So I, thinking about the you, I do, I do get that sense of kind of, uh, 
I don't exact, maybe argumentative is the right word. I'm not quite sure, but there is definitely uh, a response there. It seems for sure. Um, I think there's something really interesting that kind of happens where it's like, when I initially read it a long time ago, I, it seemed, I thought it would be a little more like tender in a way. And then the more I kind of stayed with it, it wasn't necessarily a tender poem or what I would consider a tender poem. It was definitely one that had a certain kind of dynamics going into it that I would say is more argumentative, more defensive or whatnot. Um, I think it is really interesting. The version that you read at Sixth Finch, I think would support that idea more. I think there's something, Yeah. I think the line that you said was, it's that you're more interested in telling yeah, me uh, yeah. rather than it's that yeah. you're telling me about. I think that you're, the interested part definitely puts more uh, tension between the two, yeah, I would say. And so that's why I said, I think it's a really, mm -hmm. it, it's probably a better version. Like that cut was probably a mm -hmm. cut to make because it does, um, you know, so you're more interested and that really doesn't, that doesn't carry through the poem. There's no proof of, or suggestion that there is this, this mm -hmm. view that exists in this poem that is, is showing, you know, that they're more interested in this. It is interesting the um that's that part where we start to go into the radium corporation um mm -hmm. and listen because you know my feelings about the word listen uh, <laughs> yeah we've had talks about that <laughs> used a lot as a like a poetic device um mm -hmm. it is obviously used as this sort of very delicate in in most ways a very delicate pivot but i don't i don't feel that here this here you're yeah. listen <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, like you are not getting it yeah i i got really i got really preoccupied with that tension and and the you mm -hmm. and who the you is and why and and whether or not um you know the way it keeps coming back to this kind of person in the poem and it it Cause more questions for me than answers, I guess. So uh, the line, let's take wing swallowing wings, for instance, that's, there's this technique called a synecdoche, which is where you have a part of something that represents the whole. So instead of saying car, you'd say, oh, check out my wheels, yeah. that kind of thing. So wings being that. And I almost think the you act as kind of a synecdoche in a way of a larger kind of critique of a certain kind of dynamic. And so like when you have the you it says, so when you tell me that saints are splintered into bone bits smaller than the freckles on your wrist, you have that idea of the, the use wrist. And then there's the women painting the radium on the watch dials so that the men wouldn't have to ask for time in the dark alleys. That's also another kind of wrist. Like the men's wrists are in their time is more important than the literal lives of these women. And I think there's a really something interesting that kind of happens there between the you that seems to almost be more self-focused and uses the speaker's name like a thirst pebble. Um, so there's a lot of this kind of take, like taking that is happening from one side and a lot of giving or being taken from that's happening on the other. I think the you is, I think, I, I don't wanna assume too much and say it's a person or it's a, about a real relationship or anything like that, but I do think there is a relationship dynamic there that is being spoken spoken about and spoken to in a larger way. I mean, mm -hmm. the tension is palpable to me that there's, 
there's a point that's trying to be made. Like I, I can feel mm. the speaker's aggravation. But, you know, I have to say, uh, I also kind of wanted, I mean, this, I have um, mixed feelings about when people use the first line of a poem as a title, um, feels a little like a cop out because it couldn't, you know, it's like when you have so much happening in a poem, sometimes it is really hard to find the right title. And, um, mm -hmm. and so, but, you know, if you, if you are to put, uh, you know, I, I, I don't put that much weight on titles, but some people do. Mm -hmm. And if you were to put a lot of weight on a title, um, does the poem hold up to that that particular um, image? You know, it's 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 almost bizarre um, to have this poem speak. You know, begin with such a grotesque, uh, disturbing <laughs> image. And then mm. never really come back to it again. Most of this poem really is about, I mean, the whole second half of the poem is entirely about this, this event that happened in the 1920s with the Radium Corporation and the women, mm. uh, you know, ingesting radium and getting sick and dying. It, it, it feels like this is what the poem is about. You know, um, it, mm. as you get through it, it's like this to me is what the poem is about. It's not about dry foreskin. Um, you know, there is this whole idea of like the, the saints and their, you know, being to think that, you know, rich people can just buy a speck of a saint. And, you know, there's, there's mm. something really grotesque in that as well. And I guess I keep coming back to this, that one line of, you know, what is considered a miracle. And if it's whatever God, forgot to forbid I just I, I guess I don't know I struggle I'm struggling Michael I'm struggling <laughs> no I can definitely see your point uh, the title is almost like clickbait in a way it is. It because is. it's, it's definitely me. yeah and I was I mean yeah. it's not that everything needs that hook back you know that it's yeah. but, but it the fact that you know it is such a crazy image um mm -hmm. And yet not really crazy at all because it does happen. Uh, it's not something like, you know, like the moment I saw, you know, uh, my cat eat my dog or like something, you know, like <laughs> outlandish, you know, it's, it's yeah. crazy, but it, it, it really isn't that crazy of an occurrence to happen. And so if you're going to do this deep dive in redefining the concept of miracles, uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering if, if the speaker delivers here. I think I, like for me, I, I think it does deliver. I think there's something about, so if we're going to get theological, let's say, let's say, you know, God, God is good, let's say, and God is all good and there's no evil found within God, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then the idea that God forgot to forbid something would maybe make that miracle inherently evil perhaps so i think the idea that um these the pelican devouring a seagull or this corporation that is lying about you know the dangers of all this stuff i think all of these things could be considered things that would be miraculous in the sense that they are evil acts that are being committed that weren't forbidden in a way i mean you could talk about the ethics of corporations or the morals and ethics and values of certain time periods or society roles or whatever 
so I think in that sense, there is like a big critique of a certain kind of practice. I do think it doesn't necessarily hold on to that idea of, let's say, religion. I mean, it, it kind of transitions from that, what God forgot to forbid, to the saints, and then it does pull away from that a little bit, but it kind of goes back to it at the end there with the, you're telling me about the dull slivers of dead saints while those women are glowing beneath our feet. So I think there is something that is being divided between this kind of these corporations or patriarchy or men and the damage that it is causing not men, basically, where if something is, you know, if God forgot to forbid it, it's like you have God and then you have something that's forgotten. And I feel like that parallel is you have men and corporations and then what is forgotten. And I think that is kind of how it plays out, at least in my mind, in my mind. But I, I do think it does, it pays off for me. It does kind of tie it back in with the saints. And they're just, there is a very clear, I think, kind of point being made where it's, you have these dull slivers of dead saints, and then you have these women glowing. And I think that is a pretty, pretty solid and I don't, I don't want to say blunt statement, but it is a very a very clear image to me I, I, the image mm -hmm. is 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 nice but it's it's not believable in terms of what would be considered i guess you'd say if if that was true that would seem like a, a miracle by my mm -hmm. understanding of the word miracle like wow can't believe after you know a hundred years that their bones are still glowing underground it's almost like presenting this um this concept of this speaker's concept of what this new redefined miracle concept thing is, is as like a thesis statement, you know, that I had this epiphany when I saw this bird eat this bird. That <laughs> now, this, is, this is what a miracle is. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not trying to make this like, you know, that we're in like a science lab or whatever, and you have to prove your hypothesis here. But like, I don't, I don't know if I got to that point of saying, okay, yeah, a miracle is, yes, that, you know, that's when I, yeah, I, I understand how that you came to that realization that, you know, a miracle is something God forgot to forbid. Oh, I, I, it's a complex line. I think it's a really interesting line. I think the, uh, and I'm not like a theologian by any means, I think the idea of a miracle is generally something that there is a rule for that gets broken, that won't get broken again, essentially, or just like this very one-time unique experience. And that's the rarity of it makes it a miracle, not something so commonplace. So I think there is something, there's a lot that can be extrapolated just from that one line, I think. Relics are are such a huge part of, of spiritual, spirituality and, mm -hmm. uh, and your beliefs. And, and so... Uh, I I do like this this steering away from like you know you're telling me you know about these bone fragments of saints being sold to the rich when there are these bones of the you know these women that suffered this horrible event and that is something that should be uh, cherished. And just really quick, I didn't get to mention it earlier, but I you mentioned a line: "We holy our own fragments," and it's harder to, I'm sure the 
if the reader is actually reading the poem, they can see kind of these this word play that occurs. You have the same saints are still holy intact, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Then you have we holy our own fragments, H-O-L-Y. You have these kind of beautiful, playful, what is it, homophones? Is that the word for it? I don't forgotten my basic English words here but you have these really interesting kind of puns and playfulness that is throughout the poem I think as well so that's another thing that I do enjoy about this is that despite the kind of like tragedy of the poem in a lot of ways there is still a sense of wordplay and play that I think a lot of good poems even elegies have that sense of play within the word structure or the poems itself that I think is throughout this one so it's it's an unusual um poem I, I can't really think of of any poem that I you know have read recently that is anything like it it's um and so it's it's you know I don't regret reading it <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it, there's a lot, It uh, there is a lot packed in. There's this thing where I think poets do a lot where you feel you have to um, gain momentum in your, mm-hmm. in your presentation of the poem. And so you're kind of in list mode of, of doing whatever mm-hmm. it takes to sort of generate that momentum of like, this is what I'm trying to tell you. And bam, 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 like th- this image, this image, this image. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they read well, they're interesting lines. Um, and they, they do have, um, you know, there's nothing clunky about the way this poem flows. Just, mm-hmm. but when I, take apart some of these lines and start thinking about more of what they mean or or how they fit uh I I don't know I get a little lost in it all I can definitely see that yeah I think um like I think poets and just I think human psychology in general we tend towards threes I think that's a easy pattern there's easy like when you do comedy or whatnot there's that kind of pattern of three and things like that so I do think that line in particular too when it starts off with we wholly our own fragments and there's kind of three different examples there that fall into it and I can like you said there is that switch from holding our own fragments to the mother's holding something else's fragments and it's it it is a switch I can definitely see that and I have no idea about that either I have no idea if that's a older custom if that's a current custom in some cultures I I my foreskin knowledge is so little (laughs) If you're going, if you're going to go for these images, um, mm-hmm. maybe not uh, demand so much um, from the reader to to mm. sort of seek out these answers, which, you know, and that is, you know, ultimately, I think what I felt was happening, there was just a lot put on me as the reader to figure out how this all fit together. Oh, I think, uh, I think we're ready. I think we're ready to do this. <laughs> all right so since it was my poem i chose i will go first i i give the entire book and this poem as well a toast like if you haven't had a chance to read space struck it is a very fascinating book it is filled with lines that are interesting and different and they kind of make you pause and look at the world a little bit differently uh they do the thing where they have the poem title run into the first line of the poem which is also interesting when it works well um 
this one, for instance, because the color is half the taste. It's a shame to eat blackberries in the dark. Like that's a great title that runs into that nice first line. And there are always these things that really make me think, but back to the poem, toast. Let's, let's see. Well, I will say um, just even from what, having read this, I, I, I enjoyed reading it um, for the worldly aspect of it. Uh, I learned some things. <laughs> Uh, I did like, I liked a lot of uh, the lines and um, I'm very interested in reading the book. So it's on my list. You know, I, I do love poems like this that make you think outwardly um, and and kind of uh, the historical references are always really interesting. Um, but at the end of the day, I will, I will say, um, you know, I felt like when a poem, if it does demand too much um from the reader not that I need my poem served to me on a platter you know all, all with a nice little bow on top but um I did feel like this one demanded just a little bit too much that I got more caught up in the references and the uh the the sort of lack of balance I guess in content mm -hmm. where it seemed very heavy on the radium um and maybe not heavy enough on the image of the birds uh you know there's so much that I, I at the end of the day I, I the the barometer is hard but I'm leaning roads <laughs> all right we are we are split again I'm again. sorry that's right we have to we have to make hard choices that's the whole point is to distill all these interesting ideas and conversations into the most generic of opinions <laughs> that those us. Uh, I love it though I love it so uh yeah dear dear sweet 12 subscribers and whoever else is out there if you have an opinion about this poem by Paige Lewis uh, let us know at tableforduce at gmail.com or leave a comment on the video uh, leave a comment on our facebook page uh, send us you know a letter in the mail insult us via postcard whatever you feel like doing uh, let us know we don't have anything that's right i, I will, don't care I will your... post your address for the reader <laughs> send, the, send the watchers and send, the send your framed dry foreskins to michael schmelzer like I, I have to admit the things you brought up that were questionable things about the poem that were things I hadn't thought about that do make me think I'm like oh yeah you're right there is there is an allure to that poem that gets me but I can see how it can be more of a I don't want to say trick but there I get swept up a lot in just the sheer uniqueness of that voice in the poem that I will be biased against like towards the flaws i will i will ignore the flaws because that voice is so fascinating to me that kind of mystery of that voice and these images and these ideas are so fascinating to me that i don't necessarily stop to think well why are they even there we're we were talking the other day and you brought up a really good point i think which is that if you you know if you go too deep into a poem and you start getting a little too researchy or dissect too much um you know the poem might start to lose its heartbeat that you should have you know uh hmm. that just it exists on its own where you can kind of just follow along and you don't you know you don't want to take the heart out of it by overthinking everything we could talk about the what is the role of a poem like 
how much can it ask of the reader before it becomes inaccessible? And, and that's a really fascinating thing. You have the idea of like mystery of a poem versus obscurity. You know, you don't want a poem to be obscure because it just completely shuts out the reader. And so if your scale kind of falls on that, okay, you're just, you're having me tip a little bit too far into these kind of obscure images or ideas or concepts or historical facts versus like if there isn't that initial grasp when you read a poem that really pulls you in that makes you want to do more research rather than I need to research to understand it versus like I want to do more research because I love the poem I mean there's that split so I can see like it's such an interesting balancing act for a poem to be able to hold that line and there are definitely some poems I'm like no I'm pretty sure it's like technically great but I don't you're not wooing me enough to do research into what all these things mean or how they connect it just it isn't enough for me so but this one I, I I do I am I am wooed we have a very exciting episode coming up our our very first guest of all time Clint Margrave Yep. who is the author of the new book, Visitor, which just came out from, uh, what is it, New York Quarterly Press, I believe. Yep. And uh, Clint is the author of the novel Lying Bastard and two previous books of poetry as well. But we're going to talk to Clint. Uh, he suggested a poem for us to toast or roast, which please join us. The poem is Simply Lit by Melina Morling. Uh, it's from the book Astoria out of University of Pittsburgh Press uh, out since like 2006. But yeah, Simply Lit by Melina Morling. We're going to toast or roast that with Clint. He's going to share his opinions. We're going to mock him. <laughs> and then he might read a poem or two from his new book and we'll ask him some deep thought provoking questions, which is totally our brand. And it's not going to be anything stupid at all. Yeah, I, want, I can't wait to ask him about this. <laughs> look at look at that blank look, back cover. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, I, uh, I heard a rumor. I heard a rumor. He asked hundreds of writers to blurb him, and they all refused. Would blurb him. They no and they all said no. Let's he let's chose, see he chose not to have blurbs, and I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Yeah, well, well, thank you everybody yep. for being here. Yep. Uh, like and subscribe. Follow <laughs> us on the twitter if you're still on twitter uh, that's right we're on facebook as well and um i don't know like find our way onto other channels we'll see how much social media devolves as we continue on all right all right well oh, another good show till next that's time right? till next time everybody thank uh, you kate thank you Bye. It's just, it's a brain pickle to me. Maybe I'm just not smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a dummy who doesn't understand. Subscribe to my OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you on OnlyFans twisting that salty like a apple. Love you, Bart.